You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Wolcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. Greetings, exalted ones, and welcome back to Making Tracks Reaction Chat for our Book of Boba Fett first reactions, brought to you by those scug holes over at fanfortracks.com. Before we go any further, this is a spoiler-filled discussion, so if you haven't seen Chapter 5 of the Book of Boba Fett yet, then you may want to hit pause on this podcast and come back once you've had a chance to see it. But if you don't mind being spoiled, then strap in and let's chat Boba Fett. So, if you remember in Chapter 4, The Gathering Storm, we saw how Boba and Fennec Shand met and how it tied directly into Chapter 5 of The Mandalorian. Fennec helped Boba take back the Slave One from Jabba's palace before he launched their fly-by assault on the Nikto biker gang who were responsible for wiping out his Tusken clan. They also went looking for Boba's armour back at the Sarlacc pit to discover it wasn't there and, as we know, Boba's armour by now is hanging off of the wiry frame of Cobb Banff. Back in the present day, we learn that Boba's fully healed, so no more batter sessions, or possibly flashbacks, and he held an audience with the heads of the Mos Espa criminal gangs, where they agreed not to get involved with the oncoming war between the Pikes and the House of Boba. We left Tatooine, as Boba and Fennec agreed they would need to hire more additional muscle if they were ever going to defeat the Pikes, and we were played out with a theme tune from a Mandalorian. Cue a lot of speculation and excitement. But we didn't have to wait very long, as this week, Bryce Dallas Howard returns to a galaxy far, far away to direct Chapter 5, Return of a Mandalorian. With a runtime of 52 minutes, our Book of Boba Fett story takes a sidestep to another corner of the galaxy. With a runtime of 52 minutes, our Book of Boba story takes a big sidestep to another corner of the galaxy. And here, to get his first reactions, is the only man I know who's ever dated a Jawa. It's Mr. Mark Newbold. Mark, how are you doing, buddy? Don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> exactly. I hear they're a bit furry. I mean, I can't really say it was, uh, it was special. Special. Yeah. I bet it was. I bet it was a bit special. Yeah. So before we dive into big story aspects and stuff like that, what was your kind of first initial overall reaction to this episode? Oh, I would say happy satisfaction. It was an unexpected episode. I didn't expect at all what we got. A new Mando mm. was coming in because they, they basically told you last week with that little do-do-do-do yeah. bit, so we knew that was coming. Heard rumours that you would see his new ship, did not expect the ship that he got to be the ship that he had. To him going back to Tatooine, that amazing planet, that ring city, I need to know more about that because that just looked phenomenal. Just so many things. And also, if anybody had any doubts that Lucasfilm loves The Phantom Menace as much as it loves any of its other Star Wars properties, this episode smashes that completely out the water this episode was a love letter to the phantom menace as well just gleefully happy watching this one really enjoyed it yeah i mean for me the same i i really enjoyed it you can understand where there was people talking back last year that the book of boba fett was really mandalorian season 2.5 and in some respect that is basically what this is this really kind of answers the questions that you know we we all had after the end of uh, last chapter of season two of the mandalorian i was quite surprised because i was expecting really at some point once 
once he got to Tatooine that we would start to kind of get more into play with Boba but actually to spend all that time with Mando I think was uh, was quite special I mean obviously you could possibly take the critical perspective and say well actually why have you done this is there not enough story within the book of Boba Fett and Boba's own story to really sacrifice a whole episode to the secondary character in at least this story arc mm. but I think it kind of works and like you said from from the moment that actually we heard that interest in the Mandalorian Book of Boba Fett theme tune mashup I was well in one one thought in regards to it being essentially a Mandalorian episode which it really was we now know beyond doubt and they've said it so it's no secret that all these shows are going to interlink and all these shows are going to cross over because this was a Mandalorian episode and you were following on from chapter 16 of season two, you're kind of finding out a little bit about what happened next. You don't know about the resolution. We meet the armorer again, which was very welcome. The heavy Mando, Paz Vizsla, very welcome. All these elements are in there. Mando, you didn't quite know how he was going to be after he hands Grogu over to Luke. And incidentally, the, the yeah. second X-Wing pilot was the guy that played Luke in, in that episode. Just sort of to see he's still sort of thriving, but he is a little bit lost. He's prepared to join their covert quite willingly, which kind of falls apart, which we'll get into. Everything about it, to me, even though it was very much a Mandalorian episode, is all about building up this bigger storyline. And so now I would anticipate when we get into Ahsoka or if they ever do Rangers of the New Republic, which they probably won't. It feels like that's gone. But if they, if they if there's other stuff... It feels like this could become a common occurrence. Yeah, you're watching the Book of Boba Fett, but all this other stuff is very important to it and all folds in. I mean, we love The Mandalorian, so it was an easy episode to love, but it gave us a lot of answers that we didn't really think we'd get so soon. Yeah, and I think maybe also part of that is quite a good decision in that actually we have all these answers really now to a lot of our questions so it means that you know if we weren't to have this episode in such a way and literally we just have an episode with Boba and Fennec and then Mando rocks up halfway through with the Darksaber and everything else and we've got all those questions like how did he travel there he's still got the Darksaber why is he still got the Darksaber and all these other things that actually because they spent the time with Mando in this episode it's kind of now probably out of the way so we can now get back and focus on the Boba Fett story in greater detail which I think is not necessarily a bad thing Hello my name is Aidan Cook and you're listening to Fanta Tracks You know let's let's be fair as entrances go into an episode of any Star Wars film or TV show, I think that entrance that he did into that kind of cold cellar was pretty awesome. And that whole opening scene, you know, it had that whole gangster underworld yeah. vibe. I just thought it worked really well. It, it shows you that obviously he's, you know, he hasn't really kind of missed a beat since he's since he left Grogu, and that actually, you know, he's he's kind of found a, a place. And that Spire City, I thought actually was pretty damn near perfect Star Wars. There was something about it that I just thought for me this works this this doesn't feel like some kind of uh, nod to another franchise or a different influence this just felt naturally star wars and would fit into any film that i think we've had visually to get that on television the look of it i mean and there has been criticisms over some of the effects in in the last couple of episodes there can be no criticism about this i mean that was just insane the design you felt like you were there everything about it and, and like you say yeah mando has moved on He's still kicking ass and taking names, clearly. Like, he's a great entrance, great start to the episode, unexpected. You know, he's got the guy banged to rights. There he is on the hollow, on the, oh, the hollow image, and 
it's not going to end well. And he catches himself with the dark saber, which I thought was interesting yeah. as well. Because at the time, I thought, has he caught himself with the saber? If they got him, as one of them caught him, and then I realised, no, he's mm. nicked himself with the saber. Yeah. And then that whole plays out when he meets the armorer, and she's like, "You're not ready to wield the sword. You're strong enough physically, but you're not mentally ready to wield the sword." And then Paz Vizsla sees an opportunity because she's just done that great little sequence talking about Bo-Katan and and the family of Bo-Katan, and we get that amazing sort of flashback, the only flashback really to the sacking of Mandalore when tie bombers yeah. are flattening it and the K2SO droids are all walking through, you know, shooting everything inside. That was a powerful, reminded me of Terminator 2, had a Terminator oh, 2 vibe. yeah, massively. Yeah. yeah, real kind of proper James Cameron T2 uh, vibe with that. And I think that's probably a fairly overt homage oh, to yeah. it. I just love the name. Was it um, Was it Night of a Thousand Tears or something? Is that yeah. what they call it? Yeah. It was really interesting just to see how... But Armour's moved on and it's only her and Paz Vizsla. They're, they're still kind of doing what basically they were doing on Navarro. They're kind of hiding out and stuff. It was a really kind of interesting watershed moment after he had defeated Paz and she's like, have you ever taken your helmet off? And you can kind of tell even though you can't see under the helmet, yeah. but he's kind of like, I kind of want to BS my way out of this. But at the same time, I think she knows. Yeah. So he's there's no point guy. trying to do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, th- I think that would probably have been a slightly easier way out, but it might have actually made for a, a slightly interesting story. If you if you were to kind of do a choose your own adventures yeah. and that he got to that crossroads, so then you could understand, or maybe actually, yeah, if he had lied and stayed with the armor, then maybe, you know, he could have reunified with Mandalorian on some description, but, you know, he's clearly still kind of like hung up on, you know, seeing Grogu. So he's he kind of has different you know responsibilities. And, and also, I don't quite know why he wants to see Grogu. I mean, it's just a case of he, he's he's missing him I mean I thought the whole purpose was for him to hand over Grogu to his quote unquote people so to a Jedi so he could go off and fulfill his own destiny so you know on a slightly Jedi level a little bit selfish to then maybe forego your own people's responsibilities and and potentially kind of go off to hunt for for Grogu is that possibly where we're going to go in season season three of a Mandalorian in like the hunt for Grogu Possibly. I mean, it felt to me the way the man, the armorer was talking to him. She's, she's got a way of talking, but, yes. but the way she was talking to him felt to me like he wasn't worthy. I mean, she clearly didn't like the fact he had the dark saber, you know, and, and there was a lot of things that were like the spear. Beskar's made for armor, not for weapons, because you could kill a Mandalorian with that Beskar spear sort of thing. That felt like something she'd almost made up in the moment. That didn't ring true. It just felt there was a side to what she was saying to him. Yeah, there was definitely something like some veiled threat or something mm. there. Be interesting to go back and look at that episode of Rebels where you see um, Sabine with uh, the dark saber because I think a lot of that, the whole notion of like you know you've got to be strong but you've got to be mentally strong, is come from from what I think Kanan was telling her as well. So I'd be interested to see you know how the parallels are with you know what they brought over into Book of Boba Fett yeah. with that. So yeah. you've got to be centered in your in yourself before you can not only use this weapon but affect people's destinies by using yeah. it. Because like when he's swinging it, he's swinging it like it's a 20 kilo like sledgehammer it's kind of like brutal you know going back to that whole opening scene that's probably one of the most violent bits of action we've seen in the mandalorian and the book of boba fett you know people getting decapitated and cut in half and that. i thought it was wicked i did not expect him to literally chop the guy in half and then no. you see the blade ignite and he obviously takes his head off that was full on and there's i mean initially in that fight initially he's trying to deflect and he is sort of pushing them away, but pretty quickly he realizes they're coming at him with sledgehammers and machetes and, and choppers and stuff. So he's not gonna he's not gonna last long if he doesn't get physical. 
he says it, you know, walk away, my quarrel's not with you. He doesn't really want to get into it. But I think also partly that's, I don't want to get into it because I might get hurt. And he does get hurt by his own weapon. Yeah. And they're shooting at him. The best guy can take so much of it. It was definitely full on. I'm Gareth Edwards, and you're listening to Fanthatrax Radio. He's a foundling, and there's lots of foundlings. Grogu was a foundling, so he's the kindred spirit. And clearly that's their connection is they're both essentially foundlings. To the armourer, especially when Paz Vizsla sort of makes that statement about, well, I'm of the family that forged the Darksaber. That belongs to me. I'm going to challenge for it. And the armor is like straight away, do you accept the challenge? Do you want to do this? Because she kind of knows Mando's not really up to it in that moment. But he manages to fight his way through it and get the best of him in the end. Mm. And then just as he's about to finish Vizsla, which presumably that's that's the end game of a contest like that, she's like, halt. It just felt like there was other other things going on there. I don't think he was playing with the same cards that they were playing with. He definitely defers to them. He's ready to join the covert, but he defers to them. So that whole sequence on that, like I say, I want to know more about that location. thought that that was absolutely fascinating. The one thing I really liked was the really kind of obvious use of a vibo knife. Yeah. Because you could see the blade vibrating. Yes. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that you, I can remember a lot in like the Timothy Zahn original Air to Empire trilogy, Matt. Like, I you think it's about, on Han Solo you know, trilogy, if I remember. Yeah. I think it's way back. But... You see it used or mentioned quite a lot. It's kind of like, so how would it actually work? But to actually physically see it oscillating in the way it does, so it's kind of like, you know, that motion blur was really interesting. I just thought it was really cool. But I think partly maybe what it comes down to with between the armour and Paz Vizsla and uh, and Din is I wonder if it is a societal issue whereby because he is a foundling and let's say those two are true bloods, whether or not maybe there is a certain level of snobbery there, for lack of a better term, but actually, you know... He's not a true Mandalorian, whereas obviously, as as Paz Vizsla says, he is, you know, from a house of Vizsla. So he's got a lineage all going, you know, dating all the way back. So I wonder if there's something there. And you could imagine potentially from a PR optics perspective, having somebody like Paz Vizsla unite the Mandalorians with a Darksaber is probably a stronger message than some random dude who's just a foundling. She said it. You are no longer a Mandalorian. She's made the decision. He's out. She's told him very clearly. And he just sort of lowers his head and walks off, doesn't say anything, just walks off. But yeah, and then obviously we get a really interesting scene where he kind of basically makes his way, you know, on, onto a public uh, star cruiser yeah. to head to Tatooine. If we're going to be critical about anything on this episode, I think that little scene with him and the, the RX, was it RX-3 droid, I guess, I'm surprised as to how many there are floating around the galaxy. You don't see them for years and years and years, and suddenly Mando and uh, Booker Boba Fett seem to be full of them. But that whole kind of little scene with him kind of like having to take all his weapons out and stuff just felt a little bit long I mean I and I don't know if that's some kind of foreshadowing like this might come back to play later on i.e. he gets back on another public cruiser he takes all his weapons off and stuff and then he gets caught short or somebody nicks his armour or his weapons and stuff it seemed like for a gag a little bit too much emphasis was placed on it yeah it was I mean we've seen that gag done before haven't we with guys who've got you know multiple weapons and knives you know, it's like Rambo goes yeah. to the airport sort of thing it was fine it was fine how it was done but yeah you're right it was a long episode and it needed that. There's a lot of story to fit in. So I'm glad it was as long as it was. But you're right. I think if you were going to trim anything, it would be that. You could have conveyed what was going on a downside quicker than than you did. But then by the same token, foreshadowing, going to Tatooine on their public cruise, you know, the roadie and kid in front was kind of cute, obviously got him thinking about Grogu. Another thing I noticed was that the package whatever he's got yes. in there, was tied in a little knot and the little sides of the sort of the handkerchief <laughs> looked like Yoda, like baby Yoda's ears, basically yeah. looked like Grogu. So just little touches like that were very nicely done. But it's really sweet. And uh, what I really like actually was, um, I think it's probably one of the first 
green Rodians that we've seen in ages, mm. you know, in live action anyway. You know, it seems like for a long time, all the aliens were kind of like more kind of flesh coloured and stuff like that. And, you know, I don't know if it's a, a worry that people would get confused that you see a green Rodian and you're going to think it's Greedo. But yeah, it was really nice to see the green Rodian kid and his mother and that interplay. And then obviously when we see later on when he's in the new starship and that, and, you know, yeah, you, you see ice. them on the ship as that, yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. You know, uh, it was cool because actually when they landed, you know, and read into this as much as you like, but when they landed on Tatooine, because obviously we, we don't get any captions as to, you know, what planet we're on no. or anything like that. Because obviously they used those structures from the Ralph McQuarrie concept, the you know, the, yeah. which we see on Jakku. I was like, has he ended up on Jakku? Then obviously you get the announcement, oh, welcome to Mos Eisley. It's like, ah, okay, fair enough. Okay, point taken. I just thought that was cool because, again, it's one of those things that I don't think we've actually seen those outside of Book of Boba Fett in any other films. I mean, we've seen those because I think we saw one or two of them way, way, way over the distance in the previous episode as well. So it was just, you know, it's nice how they're kind of adding these like extra touches just to kind of create a, a bigger, more interesting kind of Tatooine. Yeah, I think you saw something, Tatooine, I think you saw something similar on Navarro for a Remember, but definitely, I yeah. think Macquarie did it for Return of the Jedi. Yeah, it, it, it was a nice touch, but getting to, I mean, I kind of thought it's the same ship that the Pikes seem to have taken i was expecting them to have some kind of issue on the, on the you know ship some kind of scuffle yeah. or something some kind of beef to kind of maybe kind of set things up but it didn't appear so um and we didn't we didn't see it i don't think we saw any of them actually when he you know w- when he deboarded and stuff like that but it was a very similar ship i thought it was interesting that the pikes used that ship when they arrived yeah. in tatooine i thought it was like you know if anybody was going to arrive on you know their own gunship or their own you know vessel it's going to be probably a load of pikes again it goes to show actually how rare it is to actually have have your, you know, to own your own starship. Yeah, that's like, true. you know, of, of, of certain size. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And speaking of starships, you know, we know he's lost the Razor Crest, obviously. He's looking yeah. for a new ship. He wants another Razor Crest. One interesting point the model of vehicle is called Razor Crest. Like, yes. like the Millennium Falcon like is a YG-1300 and a Spire Spray is the model of ship. You know, it's not a specific name. So that was interesting, him wanting another Razor Crest. And she's like, ah, oh, why do you want one of them? They're boring. I've got something far better. And then that N1 comes out, which was just glorious and just so cool to see that ship. Uh, I love that sequence. I mean, okay, another little sort of A-team repairing the ship type sequence, which is always fun. And a little bit of interplay. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365. Pelly is a character. I like her in small doses. I don't think mm, she's a character yeah. you could hang an episode on, but she's, she's one of those incidental characters. I know from when I used to roleplay a lot, and we'd always have a sort of a supporting cast of NPC characters that you would bump yeah. into in the cantina or bump into when you went to the boss's palace or whatever it was. She's one of those incidental background characters because you've got the pit droids, you've got R5-D4, you've got Treadwell. You know, she's got a little yeah. robotic menagerie of characters. BD yeah. as well, you know. So you've got all these little characters knocking around, which is kind of fun. So when he gets that hot rod up and running, I mean, George Lucas must have absolutely loved this episode because that shit yeah. felt like a hot rod. Yeah, oh, it really did. I mean, uh, what was really quite clever was when, you know, it was covered up. I was like, is she trying to sell him a pod racer? I thought it was General Grievous's ship. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because, yeah. so, so, again, potentially, you know, that's a ship that maybe uh, Obi-Wan took to I, land on, on Tatooine. I will die on that hill. I th- I'm certain that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, yeah, coming back to Pelly, yeah, I, I know what you mean. There's points in this episode where I kind of felt like Amy Sedaris, who plays Pelly, was 
almost like she was just reciting portions of sections out of like the Wikipedia <laughs> when she's talking about the N1. It just didn't feel very natural. And then there's other bits where actually, you know, when she's talking Jaoese or Jawa, I don't, don't know what the, the, the term is for the Jawa language, but some of that stuff was really quite funny. And so you kind of wonder if like, you know, there's points where Bryce Dallas has kind of let her go off script a little bit and improvise and other points where, you know, she's kind of said, no, you kind of got to nail this. But you, you are right in smaller doses and, you know, and again, the second episode in a row where we've basically had, you know, somebody on a rat hunt around their, like, their local kind of area. And that, you know, you had Boba chasing the um, the rat catcher droid mm. last week, and now you've got Pelly and her droids chasing. I, I, I don't know what that. I think it was a rom- a womp rat. Muscle. I think it was a womp rat. Okay, well, yeah, womp rat. That makes sense. You know, and it's just kind of like, okay, so yeah, it's kind of same gag two weeks in a row, and and again, it's like it was a nice introduction to her, and I was expecting her to not be, you know, in this episode for as long as she was. But you know, fair play. She She's kind of like one of those characters that when I think about her role in in the universe and stuff, I can go, oh, actually, yeah, she's not too bad. And, you know, she, I, I don't mind her so much. But then when I watch an episode, I'm kind of like reminded, actually, yeah, do you know what? She's just pushing that annoying boundary a little bit. You just kind of go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've kind of had a little bit too much of you in this episode. To be fair, once he gets to Tatooine and, you know, the, the whole thing is really about his ship, you know, getting the Razor Crest 2 or whatever the hell he's going to call it. But you're right. As, you know, he gets up and running and it looks magnificent. And of course, being a mook who sold his N1 Starfighter uh, many years ago when I sold all my prequel stuff, the moment the episode finished, I was right on eBay trying to hunt for a nice boxed uh, <laughs> Nubian Starfighter. So. Yeah, same. <laughs> and I'm not telling you how much I paid for it, but oh my God, I was like, <laughs> it's all good fun. Hello, this is Jay Manchand. I'm a Star Wars Tops artist and you are listening to Tracks. What do you, let's take her out for a spin kind of thing. Love that because it's real world. It, it's it's what yeah. you would do if you've got a new Kai, take it out for a spin. He's taking her out for a ride. You're flying it like a gunship, fly it like a starfighter. You know, it's like, okay, that makes sense. And when he pokes that throttle, my goodness, that ship just goes absolutely awesome. Taking it down Beggar's Canyon. Of the whole sequence of, of shots that were just straight out of the Phantom Menace playbook, just beautiful. Absolutely loved it. Can't wait to watch that scene again. And then just taking her up into the skies through the cloud cover out into into orbit. And then, of course, the X-Wings turn up, that little sequence that we mentioned, you know. That was nicely played. I recognise your voice. Don't you own a Razor Crest? With Carson Teva was just just great. Everything about that whole sequence was brilliant. I just liked how, like, when he just ignites those... Uh those thrusters and he, he's just gone and like those oh, yeah. T-65s just left completely in the dust and it's just like oh, it's too much like hard work going after him let's just uh, yeah. you know do you want to go back to headquarters and fill out the paperwork or should we just stay out here and pretend it never happened <laughs> you yeah, know? Is that, yeah which is you know which is good I suppose a good way to kind of get him out and that so he then lands back in uh, the hangar bay and meets Fennec quite honourably he kind of says I'll come and come and help out yeah. but, you know no charge but I've got something to do first are we assuming that that's when he goes off to go and see Grogu, do we think he knows where Grogu is? Because like mm. he could be off chasing Grogu for for weeks and months. Which by the you know the sounds of it, or I would think Boba doesn't have that kind of time to hang around. Part of me thinks that maybe this trying to seek Grogu, give him the gift that was made out of the Beskar spear. That might be essentially a flashback episode we get in season three of The Mandalorian, where you find out where he went and what he did, and that they're not going to waste any time next week. We'll just assume that that's something we'll see somewhere down the line, and he'll be back ready to fight and work and be the muscle, you know, for Boba Fett in his current predicament. It just felt like this episode was very neatly resolving certain things and setting other things up. It was very neatly done. 
I wouldn't be averse to seeing it, but we've only got two episodes left. It feels like it really needs to get going. And this week, it really did get going, completely not in the way that I thought it would. It's kind of like a, a side story here, which um, would be interesting to see how, how it all kind of fits in next week. And, and what are you expecting from next week's episode? Well, this week was such a such a shock. I fully expected Mando to turn up at the palace and for them to get into doing whatever they're doing with the bikes this week. So for it to be an episode centred around Din Djarin so completely and give us so many answers to what's happened in the past, flashback sequences to how Mandalore got the way it was, the stuff with the armourer, didn't expect to see the armourer or Paz Vizsla, seeing Moss Eisley looking so good, seeing an N1 star, just so many things that we saw, did not expect it. So next week, I'd like to say, can't wait to see the Mandalorian in Boba's Palace, got to say Boba's Palace, keep wanting to say Jabba's Palace, but Boba's Palace. I want to see if other characters take a step back when Mando turns up, because there's a little bit of Boba Fett who, the guy's been off the scene for a while and he's not quite getting the respect that he should get. If he's got the Mandalorian, yeah. Din Djarin, on side, I think once Din throws his lot in with you, then he's in. You know, it said everything that he threw the money back at Fennec and said, it's on the house. You stood up for me. You helped me with my quest, so I'm going to help you with yours. Very much a reciprocal thing. A bit like last week when Fett's like, I've got some scores to settle, and he didn't mess around. He just went straight out and did it. So I think these guys are men of their word. Next week, I think next week's going to be a bit tasty. I'm thinking there's got to be a lot of action coming next week. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's going to really ramp up. We've only got two episodes left, so you know, hopefully we're going to start to see some the hammer come down a little bit maybe on, on Boba. I was slightly worried that we weren't really going to get Mando in this week's episode. I actually thought before I saw the episode that there was something they're going to tease and it was going to be like next week and this this week was going to be, you know, maybe just more issues on, on Tatooine. So I'm really glad we got this episode and the way it was done as well, it felt like a proper crossover episode. A bit mm. like that first episode of the Bad Batch when the, the logo kind of bled through from the Clone Wars into the Bad Batch logo. It's, it Just with the music, that kind of worked. And I'd like to be surprised and see if maybe either Bo-Katan or maybe even Paz Vizsla turns up maybe he you know in the final episodes to help boba i'd like that's what i'd like to say i'd like to see some kind of coming together of mandalorians that we haven't really seen because they're now fewer in number than they were at the beginning of the mandalorian because they lost quite a few of them on navarro they're as threatened as a culture as a creed now as the jedi were after order 66 aren't yeah they? easily so you know so i'd love to kind of see them come together and, and unite i mean maybe that's something we're, we're going to see in mando season three and mm. it doesn't really necessarily play into this you know i, I kind of think that at the end of this first book of boba fett it's going to be like kind of get the local power base consolidated and then start to focus on the wider galaxy as a whole later on. It'll be interesting to see if that's the route they take because, you know, as much as it's not necessarily been as exciting or the hit that I think some people wanted, I still think this has been a really solid series yeah. so far. And, you know, we've still got two episodes left. So, you know, there's still plenty of time left to, to really kind of ramp things up. Let's wrap this up. How could people send in a listener's question for next week's episode of Making Traps? Very good question. We do, but we always want more. But if you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit Fantatracks.com or check out the free... Free. Fantatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us. This is very relevant. And send in those listener's questions by emailing radio at Fantatracks.com. 
comment, like, and share on any of our social media feeds at Fantatracks, and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Temple for composing the Fantatracks intro, Anna O'Brien for our making tracks, opening music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. And that is me done for this episode. Brilliant. And of course, you can get in touch with me on Instagram, and if you really want to on Twitter, I am at mmolcaster. And of course, the other one, Mark Newbold, he is at prefect underscore timing on Twitter and on Instagram, and he spends a lot of time on Twitter, so hurl your abuse his way. <laughs> but until next week, or until the next episode of Making Tracks, whenever that comes, which will be soon, I hope everybody stays safe, takes care, takes their vitamins, eats their vegetables, gets vaccinated or boosted, and of course, may the force be with you all. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's another episode of Making Tracks.